Well, if you could turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. We finished up the Sermon on the Mount last week. And now we are going to see the first thing. Okay, so last week we saw the last things that Jesus wanted us to know in his sermon. Today we're going to see the first things that he did right after he preached his sermon. In a sense, he is, just in traditional rabbinical format, as in his day he was perceived as a rabbi, rabbis would teach and rabbis would show. They would give examples to their disciples of his teaching in action. Um, So in Matthew chapter 8, we're going to start seeing, we're not going to get, I don't, unless the Lord has different ideas by his spirit, we're not going to get too far into this chapter today. Um, There are several examples that we're going to be looking at within the next couple of weeks of how Jesus starts revealing to us practically how his kingdom works. The Sermon on the Mount, if you were to encapsulate it in a nutshell, it's the teaching on the kingdom. It's this is how he's teaching us what the kingdom of God looks like. The true kingdom of God that comes up from the heart, from the insides of a man or a woman. And now he's going to start showing us examples of what it looks like. So Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 He says, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one. But go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. We're going to stop there. We're going to pray, seek the Lord's wisdom, and then we're going to dig into this passage here. Lord, I thank you again for choosing us to show us your grace so that we, in a a way, could be a testimony to the world that the rest might come to know you that we might see your great grace, that you might be glorified on the earth. And Lord, as we look to Jesus, we magnify him as our Lord, as our Savior, as God incarnate, our merciful King. And Lord, I pray that if there's nothing else that we see here, Lord, may the, may the fruitfulness that is born from this, may we see Jesus high and lifted up, the mighty, worthy of worship and praise and honor. Lord, I pray that you would bear fruit in our hearts and in our lives today as we look to Jesus, as we hunger and thirst after righteousness. May we have a bit of filling today as we seek those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Now in Christ's day, as I mentioned, he was viewed from the very beginning of his ministry as a rabbi. You don't really have disciples unless you are a rabbi in the Jewish culture. And Jesus had disciples. 
In fact, the Sermon on the Mount was primarily taught to his disciples, if you go back and look at the beginning. And at one point in his ministry, people started pointing out that he was a prophet. At another point, people started starting to recognize that he was actually the Messiah. Some of them saw that. But at this point of Jesus' ministry, he's really just considered to be a rabbi. People aren't really seeing the prophet yet. People aren't really seeing the Messiah yet. But they're seeing Rabbi Jesus. Teacher. Philosopher, perhaps. And among most Jewish rabbis, there was, there were some, there was some status quo that they needed to be kept. In fact, one of, the, one, of the, uh, one of the typical formats for the rabbinical teaching was they taught from the Torah. That was the expectation. The Torah, math, or <laughs> Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I mean, those five books of the Old Testament are considered the Torah, and those are considered the, the anchor of the Old Testament from which the rest of the Old Testament kind of came from. Um, and that's what they were to teach from. They were to teach primarily from the Torah. And while there was plenty of room for various perspectives within the Torah, you know, there are different matters at hand, and we still talk about different perspectives within these books of the scriptures today. Um, uh, they were allowed varying teaching styles, but they were, and they were allowed to have some, their, some of their own perspectives on some of the teachings within reasonable boundaries. Um, but there were also some subjects concerning rabbis' teaching that were not necessarily tied to a command, but just tradition. One of these teachings that the rabbis were not allowed to deviate from in, in the Jewish tradition was that they were to teach that, we are, that the Jews were not allowed to have any interaction with Gentiles and they were not allowed to have any interaction with people who are ceremonially unclean. Those people were people that they were to stay away from. And as we see Jesus setting an example after teaching on the kingdom of God, now he's exemplifying the kingdom of God, we see Jesus breaking those rules. In fact, he, he already broke a lot of rules in the, old te in, in the Sermon on the Mount. We didn't really cover this, but he was essentially leading people further within the Sermon on the Mount. The rabbi was typically supposed to point people to the Torah. Jesus was taking people further than the Torah, in a way. When he was saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He was taking the people further than the Torah. He was claiming an authority that no other rabbi really claimed in the things that he was saying. And here he's doing things that no other rabbi would do. It was improper for rabbis to do these things. Not only impossible because he's going to be doing some miracles here, but even just without the miracle, the, the approach that Jesus takes on the world was improper. It was looked down upon. We don't do those types of things. And here in the passage we just read, he is interacting with a leper. An unclean person. Ceremonially unclean. And today we're going to look at, forgive me if this sounds a little bit impious, but our renegade redeemer, who knew full well 
that salvation is not found in the status quo. It is not found in tradition. And he's going to reveal that to us. First, we see here in verse 1, when he had come down from the mountain, so he had just ceased his teaching. Great multitudes were following him. In verse 2, and behold, behold, behold. We don't talk like that anymore, do we? When was the last time somebody came up to you and said, behold? <laughs> but back then, this word had meaning. There was purpose behind this word. Behold. And really, the, what it means can differ slightly depending on the context. In some ways, it can simply mean to look. Behold at my scriptures. Look. Take a look here. Behold the scriptures. Behold, there's this thing happening over here. It can be said like that. But Jesus isn't, or Matthew, isn't really using this word, behold, just by saying, hey, gaze upon, look at. He is using this word to mean, you need to pay attention to this. Because what I'm about to say deserves your undivided attention. That's what behold, more often than not, means in New Testament contexts. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. He's not just saying, hey, look at me, I'm going to tell you something. No, you need to look at what, the te what I am telling you, because it's important, it's significant. You need to pay attention. You need to dwell on this. So Matthew, when he's saying, and behold, he's saying, you need to pay attention. Give me your undivided attention, because what's about to happen is significant. It's important. He says, behold, what does he say behold about? Behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, let's talk about a leper a little bit here. According to Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, Nobody was supposed to have interaction with a leper. And in that, in that passage, we, I'm not going to read the passage, but it gives the rules here. The rules for a leper, how a leper was supposed to live, he was to, there were seven rules for the leper. One, the clothes he wore, he wore were supposed to be ripped and torn, shredded clothes. It was supposed to make him obvious from a distance that he's somebody that we need to stay away from. Two, he's supposed to let his hair hang loose. Let, just let it drape over his shoulders rather than covering it or whatnot. Three, he was supposed to cover his upper lip with a cloth. Four, he was to cry out, unclean, unclean, wherever he went. Can you imagine that? Every time you went somewhere, you just had to cry that out, constantly degrading yourself in public. Wherever you go, as a leper, you have to constantly tell everybody what's wrong with you. Num <clears throat> Rule number five. The leper will be ceremoniously unclean and therefore unable to enter the temple for worship or to offer sacrifices. If you cannot offer sacrifices, what's supposed to happen with your sins? You can't do anything about it. Rule number six, you must live alone. 
by yourself. Rule number seven, the leper must live outside the camp or outside the main dwelling area of the city. I mean, this, all of these rules for the leper reveal to us an image of somebody who is, used to be part of the people, used to be just the, or, the normal average everyday Jew, interacting, working, carrying out, worshiping at the temple, offering sacrifices. But now, because of the skin disease, all that's gone. His whole life is gone. The historian Josephus records that lepers were essentially viewed by the society as dead people. They were dead. If you had a spouse who got leprosy, sorry, they're dead to you. You can't have any interaction with them. You can't live with them. You can't take care of them. You can't approach them. You can't even really talk to them anymore. They can't enter the temple. They can't make any atonement for their sins according to the sacrificial laws. They're gone. If that's your husband, well, you're essentially a widow now. That person is gone from society. They're essentially a dead person because of their leprosy. They were not cared for, approached, taught, or otherwise interacted with. It was also, and beyond this, to add to their shame, it was also the popular teaching that lepers received their leprosy in punishment for some sin. And they would reference Old Testament examples such as Miriam, who received leprosy because of sin, Uzziah, or Elijah's servant Gehazi, who all received leprosy because of some sort of sin. So the, the common tradition was if you have leprosy, it's because you did something wrong. You sinned, and God is judging you. And perhaps even worse yet, if you could even get more depressing, <laughs> the leper knew, just as everybody else knew, that there was no cure for his disease outside of some miracle from God. Now today we have different forms of skin diseases that could be commonly associated with leprosy, but there are in general cures or treatments for those types of things. I'm not a, a doctor so I don't know exactly all the details of all that. But back then, if you had leprosy, that's the rest of your life. This is the way you're, the rest of your life was going to be hopeless. Devastated. You are nobody. You are dead. And this man represented in Matthew chapter 8 is externally what Christ taught about in Matthew chapter 5 verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And it is no coincidence that, the, that this, being his first teachings, is now his first example after, the, after his message. This is the man who came and worshipped at Jesus' feet. He worshipped him. Lord, if you are willing, you, may, you can make me clean. Now, when we think of the word worship, what do we think of? Was he, did he come and sing a worship song to Jesus? Did he come and obey Jesus in some manner? How do you think he was worshiping Jesus? Now, the word for worship actually gives us some guidance. 
Did you know that the word for worship literally means to kiss? Did you know that? Worship means to kiss, or more popularly rendered, to kiss the ground in front of somebody. Somebody who you are highly esteeming. You're coming down, you're you're prostrating yourself on the ground, and you're kissing the ground in front of them, showing them high honor and reverence. Can you picture this? This man who is poor in spirit before Christ is the type of man who alone can really prostrate himself on the dusty earth, press his lips against the dusty ground, if only that he might kiss perhaps some of the footprints of Jesus that he walked on. It's a symbol that even the the ground upon which he is standing is in some way honorable and holy. Perhaps the imagery could go even so far as to suggest that such holiness, that one is so poor that he dare not approach Christ physically, but he is content to simply kiss the ground in front of Jesus. And that was really some of the imagery from way back when, if somebody approached a pharaoh or a king of sorts in his court, the person would bow himself down and kiss the ground because he would dare not approach the king or the pharaoh himself, lest he be killed. So they would stay a distance back and they would kiss the ground and prostrate themselves in honor of the the ruler that they were in front of. And this is the image of kind of what we're seeing here with this leper. This man who is poor in spirit He sees the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And he worships him. He dare not approach him. One, he's a leper. And two, this is Jesus. (laughs) And this is even before Jesus really became super ultra popular. Yeah, there were still multitudes following him because he had already gained somewhat of a gathering. But he hasn't really done a whole lot by this point. But this leper knows More about Jesus than many do by this point. In a sense, he is perhaps remembering Isaiah chapter 6. He, the leper, looking up to this holy one with the angels around constantly saying, Holy! 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 Though he, the leper, has to cry out, unclean, unclean, unclean. The vast difference between he and this Savior could not be more obvious than in this passage. The illustration of the human condition before God could not be made more obvious than in this, with this imagery here. We, can we rise any higher than this leper to approach such a holy God? Truly, this is the poverty of spirit that we, you and I, we must know well in our hearts. That is, if we approach Christ as the one who shall receive the kingdom, when we enter the kingdom, there will be much rejoicing and exaltation, but now we are fully aware of our great need in the gulf between us and the holiness of Christ. Can we rise higher than this leper in our worship? Can we truly justify ourselves of, I don't have to, I don't have to 
associate with this man. I don't have to associate with this leper. No, I, I rise a little bit higher than him. Such is not the spirit of he who is poor in spirit, who alone shall receive the kingdom of God. We see here a person who truly is poor in spirit and therefore comes to worship the Savior. And he approaches the maker and the sustainer of the universe and he gives him a simple request. But as we're going to see here in a second, it's not necessarily the obvious request. Now, if he were most people, you know, let's see what he says. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, if you were most people, he would have said, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me. But that's not what he said. The word he uses is very important for us to see here because it shows us the inner desire of this man. He wants to be clean. He doesn't just want to be healed. He wants to be clean. Do you know what that means? We talked about ceremonially being unclean as a leper. And being ceremonially unclean, what does that prevent you from? That prevents you from being able to worship God in his temple and to offer sacrifice for your sins. This man, yeah, sure, he is in pain. Sure, he, is, he has suffered perhaps for years being the lowest of low in his society, being essentially a dead man, walking, being rejected by his own family, having to announce his rejection every, sing every single place that he goes. He's not, off, he's not asking to be healed. He's asking to be cleansed. He wants to worship. He calls him Lord, Master, Sovereign, Owner. And if this, if this leper simply perceived him as a rabbi, as did most, he would have referred to him as, Oh, teacher, or rabbi. But he uses the word Lord, the word specifically used by servants to their masters or to somebody who, to whom he owes allegiance. He says, if you are willing, his humility reveals that he is fully aware that Christ has the final say here. He already knows this. Christ has the final say, if you are willing. He knows that Christ could say no and be perfectly just in doing so. He is not trying to make a compelling argument to sway Christ's decision. He is not trying to woo him with, with great words. His request, if it, is, if it is your will, if you are willing, is submissive. He approaches Christ with submission. Every fiber of this man is prostrated. It announces... Your kingdom come, your will be done. Hallowed be your name. That's how he approaches Jesus. As should we. And his request reminds me of Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 14, where it says, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. In Jeremiah, he's 
for the sake of his nation, crying out, Oh, if you would heal me, then I would be healed. I cannot find healing in any other. Oh, if you will save me, then, then I will be saved. Otherwise, I will not be. For you are my praise. And he prays, this leper prays to be cleansed. He wants to worship again. He doesn't just want his ailment to go away for the sake of his own comfort. His prayer is a prayer of faith. A prayer that announces that he hungers and he thirsts after righteousness. He wanted to be cleansed. It wasn't a selfish request. He wanted to be, yeah, sure, he wanted to be received into the people of God again. He wanted to be one with his nation, the chosen nation of God. And he wanted to be clean in the eyes of God so that he could come and worship. And here Jesus does the unthinkable. In verse 3, and Jesus put out his hand and he touched him saying, I am willing. Be healed? No, be cleansed. Only the priest had the right to announce a person to be cleansed. Here we see Jesus. In a, in a few weeks, maybe a couple weeks, we'll see how far we get. We're going to see the Pharisee, Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven you. And that causes an uproar. Only God can forgive sins. That's, you're out of bounds, Jesus. And here, he's out of bounds too. Because only priests has, have the right to ceremonially cleanse a person. Jesus is cleansing him. Be cleansed. I am willing, be cleansed. But even before that, he's, he reaches out his hand and he touched him. He touched the leper, the unclean person. Now, still speaking about ceremony. Ceremoniously, if you touched an unclean person, what would happen to you? According to the law of Moses, you would become unclean and therefore unwilling to worship, unwilling to offer sacrifices, unwilling to enter the temple. You would have to then go be confined to these rules of cleansing for some time. You were unclean. But this is important because this we really see the significance of Jesus and how different he is from the average person, from the average rabbi. In this situation, Jesus did not become unclean, which would have happened to any other person in all creation. If any other person touched this leper, they would have become unclean. But when Jesus touched the leper, Instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the leper became clean. Look, at, look with me, if you will, at Romans chapter 5. Starting in verse 12, we're going to be reading through the end of the chapter here. We're not going to be exp expositing every single verse in this chapter. But look at this. It, Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 21. And he says... And here we're talking of our human condition. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men, because all sins. Here, here we see a picture in a sense that we are all lepers. We are all unclean. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all 
without hope in this world. For un- verse 13, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So Adam is a type of Christ. Kind of the opposite, though. Adam sinned and gave sin to everybody. He gave leprosy to everyone. He made everybody unclean with his sin. Because we all come from him. Just like if anybody were to touch the leper, they would have become unclean. We all come from Adam. Therefore, we are all unclean. We are all sinners. In verse 15, though, we start seeing the connection here. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. So you see there, the the gift of Jesus is not like the one that came through the one who sinned. So we see here the juxtaposition between Jesus and Adam. Adam gave leprosy to everybody because we've all touched Adam. But Jesus, when he enters the scene, he is not touching Adam. Well, he is touching Adam. He's touching Adam's descendants But instead of him becoming unclean, he is making us clean. He is bringing cleansing to all creation, redemption to the world. So we see here in this picture of the leper, the difference between Jesus and man. And we continue in in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, he says, For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, Much more, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners... So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, have you ever wondered about the end of verse 20, that grace abounded more than the offense of Adam? That has caught me off guard many times. And this, this conversation with the leper kind of shows us some insight. Because it, in my mind, when I read grace abounded more, that's confusing to me because there are still more people who are damned to hell than there are people going to heaven. How in the world could God's grace abound more? It seems like Adam has pretty much ravaged all nations in all eras of time. (laughs) How could Christ's grace abound more than the death of Adam? But the idea that he has is not numerical necessarily. 
The idea that he has here is, and it's illustrated by this situation with the leper, that Jesus comes and he is not operating according to the laws of nature. He is a man, yes, but he has not taken upon himself the sinful nature of Adam. Otherwise, he could not be our Savior. And we see that because, you know, death came through Adam, for all have sinned. But we see that Jesus did not sin, so therefore he did not inherit the death of Adam. We prove that we have inherited the death of Adam when we sin. Jesus proves that he did not receive that, because he did not sin. Already we see, therefore, that Christ is very different than you and me. But then we see that the, the difference between the condemnation that we receive through Adam and the grace that, and the forgiveness and the justification that we receive through Jesus is more powerful than nature. It's more powerful than that condemnation that, the, that all creation was subjected to through Adam. We were powerless to get out of it. There was no possible way that we could cast off the death of Adam. No possible way. That would be outside nature. For we have all touched Adam. We have all come from him. It is impossible for us to be justified because of our connection with the great leper. It is impossible for us to be clean. But thanks be to God, the Christ of the impossible came and his grace abounded and completely obliterated human nature. It completely obliterated the natural course of the world that brought death to all men and women everywhere in all span of time. His grace comes and when he touches us, the children of Adam, he does not become unclean. He cleanses us, gives us justification, makes us righteous, removes our shame and our guilt. We no longer have to constantly cry out, unclean, unclean, when we approach God. For he has made us clean because he touched us. That is how his grace has abounded more. Because he has overwhelmed the human condition. He has brought the possibility of justification where Adam made it completely impossible for anybody to ever experience the saving grace of redemption. He brought it to us with a touch. First John 1, 8-9 through 9 says... If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, okay? The starting point is we must be willing to admit, I am unclean, I am unclean, otherwise we will not come to Christ to worship at his feet. How could you? Why would you? If you do not already know that you are unclean. But if you know, I am unclean, unclean, then, verse 9, is true. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse us to make us clean. Again, using that ceremoniously um, rooted word. Not just the healing of the body, 
the cleansing of the soul that makes it possible for us to enter boldly into the holy of holies, into the very presence of God, which is confounding because I still know who I am and I still know that I am not worthy to enter the holy of holies. But that is according to the flesh, according to the touch of Christ, the healing touch of Christ, the cleansing touch of Christ, we are able to enter into his presence, which is representative of the overwhelming grace that he has shed upon humanity that is greater than the offense. Well, let's keep looking here. Matthew chapter 8. Jesus then commands the man in verse 4. Okay, so immediately Jesus, Jesus says, I am willing, be cleansed. He cleanses the man. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's willing. If you will come to him with your condition, he is willing to cleanse you. As immediately as this leper was cleansed, in verse 3. And in verse 4, Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Okay, so there was, a, there was a process by which a person had to be cleansed according to the law of Moses. And Jesus encourages this man to go and enter into that process of the ceremonious cleansing. Even though Jesus actually just cleansed the man. He cleansed the man. He's clean already. He doesn't need further cleansing from a priest because the high and mighty Jesus Christ cleansed the man. But he says, go and do this. Don't tell anybody, but go your way. Because we don't want, we don't want to, it's not time right now for you to make an uproar in the town. Okay? So don't go telling everybody, because only the priest, according to the law of Moses, has the right to cleanse. So go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift of Moses that he commanded as a testimony to them. Not for your cleansing, but as a testimony to them. But let's get there, we'll get there in a second. Leviticus chapter 14, verses 4 to 8, reveal the process for cleansing. And I'll just tell you here, two birds are offered in the, the well, let's, let's just go there. It'd be easier to read it than for me to try to explain it. Leviticus chapter 14, for the sake of learning, let's go right to the source. Leviticus 14, verse 4. He says, <clears throat> The priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed, and we're talking about lepers, two living and clean birds, cedar, wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar, wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and dip them in the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy, and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. He who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and wash himself in the water, that he may be clean. And that he shall come into the camp, and shall stay outside his tent seven days. As a side note, this is part of the roots of where we get baptism from. But that's not really what this sermon is about. I just wanted to put that in your head. Um, so here we see two birds. One is slaughtered. And its blood poured out. The other is kept alive and dunked into the blood of the dead bird. Are you starting to see 
some connection here, some salvific connection. The two, the two birds represent the old life and then the freedom of the new life for the healed person. It also represents Christ, the one who was crucified for us, shed his blood. We who are set free after being washed by his blood. We see the old life. We see the freedom of the new life for the healed person. We also we see that formerly in the life of the leper, this leper was as good as dead. As we see in the first bird. That bird is dead. That bird is killed. That first bird is slaughtered. But now, the dead has brought life. The other bird is set free. Covered in blood. He is set free from that which was a living death. And that's symbolic in the life of the leper that you used to be dead, but now you live. You used to be a castaway, but now you are received back into the people of God. You used to have no hope, being separated by your sins because you couldn't have you have no way to offer sacrifices. But now sacrifice is made for your sins because you are clean. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 22 and 23, if you want to look there real quick. Hebrews 9, 22 and 23 say, And according to the law, almost all things were purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heavens, in the heavens, should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. What we learn from these two verses is that the Old Testament examples of sacrifice have New Testament, Christ-centered implications in the age that we live in today. Those Old Testament sacrifices all, in some way, exemplified salvation today. As we saw with this Illustration of the two birds being sacrificed for the cleansing of the leper. In chapters, and we want to. I want to end by looking at Romans chapter six. Starting with verse four, he says, "Keep this picture of the birds in your mind." And this leper who had to wash himself, and this bird who was covered in blood before being set free, he says, therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, just like, that first, just like the second bird was emerged into the death of another. Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Being covered by the blood of Christ, we are set free in the newness. Verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we would no longer be the slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. 
For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in its lusts. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments as righteousness to God. Note specifically, present yourselves to God. Is that not what the leper had to do with the priests? Present himself to them? Revealing that he was healed and therefore able to be cleansed? We present ourselves to God, spotless, blemishless, because we have been washed, cleansed by Christ. His grace is greater than your sin, and that is why your sin can be overwhelmed by His grace. It doesn't matter what your sin is. If there was a sin that God could not cleanse, then his grace would not be greater than sin. Sin would be greater. And the condemnation come from Adam would be stronger than the righteousness of Christ. Adam would defeat Christ if your sin could not be forgiven. But that is not the case. Christ came to bring to us a grace that is greater than the condemnation of Adam. And I want to end by reading you the lyrics of a song called Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. It's a song I plan to introduce to you someday. But for now, suffice it for me to read some of these lyrics. He says, Come, behold the wondrous mystery. He, the perfect Son of Man, in His living, in His suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam come to save the hellbound man. Christ, the great and sure fulfillment of the law, in him we stand. Come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinners hangs the Lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory, grace unmeasured, love untold. Come behold the wondrous mystery, slain by death, the God of life. But no grave could e'er restrain him. Praise the Lord, he is alive. What a foretaste of deliverance. How unwavering our hope. Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes. Let our hope be upon Christ and his great grace. Let no guilt, let no shame keep you from him. For he has covered all with just a touch from his hand. He is not, he is not made filthy or unclean. No, you are made clean. Come only prostrate before him, kissing the ground before the Lord of heaven. And humbly ask, not for your own, the sake of your own disposal, but ask that you might be cleansed. For he is faithful cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Lord, I thank you for your grace and I thank you for our Christ who we uplift today. 
I only pray that your word would bear fruits in our hearts, that you would take us further in the name of Jesus. But no further can we go except that we first kneel at the cross. And Lord, I pray that if there is any who must kneel prostrate before the cross here today, that they might do so to be saved. I pray if there is any conviction of sin, that we would see you greater, that we would see your love sufficient to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Lord, teach us more deeply the significance that we get to come into your holy place. We who formerly must cry, unclean, get to come and approach God so holy as you. Teach us this. In Christ's name, amen.